Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 54. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined on the line by Cody Safdie, coming off of the heels of, uh, I mean, thanks to Magic MMA. Um, he got me on Bevol. That made the weekend pretty good. Um, uh, UFC was pretty hit or miss, but uh, wasn't an absolute disaster. So I'm moving in the right direction. Rose didn't fight for you and your parlays, which, uh, you know, chalk up another another one for the bookie. Damn bookie. Bookie's on fire Damn. right now against us. Bookie's killing. Bookie's killing us. But, uh, but yeah, um, we'll get back on track. You're at, do you want to say anything about, uh, about that fight, or do you want to save it for later in the show? No, I'll just say, uh, well, in regards to that fight, yeah, this is why it's ultimately always going to be gambling at the end of the day. You can do the tape study, you can do the research, you can spend countless hours on it, but at the end of the day, you don't know the kind of shit that they're going to go in there and pull, right? Like, sometimes fighter goes in, you don't know until after the fight that they ripped their hamstring, you know, a week out, that they tore their ACL, that they had a shoulder injury, that they broke something in their foot, like, they just take the fight anyway. You don't know, like, fully what shape they're in, but beyond that, it's mentality, right? I was very confident that Rose would stuff the takedowns. If she did get taken down, she would get right back up. It would be a striking battle. And she obviously, she's going to win a striking battle. But no, man, no. She, she she elected to do nothing. This is somebody that fought in fight of the year candidates. You know, this is someone that's fought in uh, championship rounds against the best girls in the sport. And for whatever reason, on that night, she decided right then and there, I don't feel like fighting. How's that something I can foresee? How's that something I could predict? She just didn't want to do it one time. A career of just savagery, and on one particular night, the night that I got a bunch of money riding on her, uh, don't don't feel like doing it. And then you got Pat Barry in the corner being like, good, Rose, good. I bet fight goes the distance and Carlos spars it by decision. The booze are good. It's like, I won't say it because I'll have to bleep it out. Later, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're like, God well. Damn. So, I'll, so I'll all play. we can do is say, you know, uh, forwards and onto better things. But yeah, that's that's just part of the risk. You just you, you never actually know. I'll play counterpoint just to a degree for it, just for, out of the out of the sake of argument. One, you already knew Rose was a little bit, a eh, little bit, little 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 bit off, right? So like you have to okay. go, you have to be accepting accepting of the fact that she may go in there and lay an absolute an absolute egg. Um, and that's exactly what she did. Two, I think she like, you know, in practice and train. I'm just guessing here, but it's like in practice and training, she was probably like, you know, all I have to do is just stop the takedowns and I win this fight. So like in her mind, stopping Carla from doing what she uh, what she wanted to do in the fight, which is get top control, get takedowns, yada yada yada. But I think like somewhere in her mind. By not allowing Carla to really do that, she took that as a win. But it's like, no, you got to actually throw strikes as well. Like, that's that's your winning condition. Your winning condition is you throw strikes uh, when she's not able to take you down. You win the bucks. I mean, she still won the crypto. You see that? She won the $30,000 in crypto. They got to take that away from the fans. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not fully understanding it. You know what I'm not also not understanding is that uh, Israel Adesanya comes out afterwards to like criticize him and be like, oh, 
putting me to slip. <laughs> worst fight I've ever seen. It's like, dog, you versus Yo Romero was the worst fight I've ever seen, right? Like, you you did this exact same thing before. His last fight out. Over? His last fight out was bad, too. It was the same type of thing, right? I mean, it was... Right, a str- it was a, like he was landing like 10 significant strikes. It wasn't that bad. It, like they had like three significant strikes through round one, I believe, or something like that. Um, yeah, but you know, the, the Yol fight, right? It's arguably 4 1 Yol, but they give the decision to Izzy and no one's overly complaining about it. And no one really talks about it anymore because it's like, oh, well, you know, you got to beat the champ to be the champ. So, like, in what world is Carla Espar, even her own criticism at the post fight press conference, which she's just like, huh. Hard to fight someone who doesn't want to fight you. It's like you weren't trying to fight her. What kind of crazy world are we living in? Anyways. She's anyways. actually kind of right. I, I saw that in her post fight and I was just like, Rose didn't throw strikes. Like Rose thought that the absence so did of Carla throw strikes. Did Carla did she Carla was at least moving? She was she was at least moving forward. Rose was backing away on her back, like she was running away on yeah. her back foot. And that's yeah. like the I mean, it's so stupid. It's like I know that the rules say that like a 10 10 10 round is supposed to be basically only I saw Aaron Bronstetter explain this. Um, It's supposed to only be if you're if you're in like a Romanov versus Espino situation and nothing happens in that round. And uh, that's where you can kind of give a 10 10. So like 10 10s basically don't exist. But it's like there should be a world where 10 tens exist because that round one specifically was like, that's a 10, 10. Like, I don't know how you score that. Like you're only going to have bad results when the judges are kind of forced to give a 10, nine and nobody's trying to win the fight either way. It's a, uh, it is what it is. That's, that's the game that we play every week. That's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Now, speaking of rules, <clears throat> I deserve it because I broke a few of them. You're trying not to put, you don't put heavyweights on your top ticket. They're heavyweights. You don't put women's MMA on your top ticket because women's MMA. And you don't bet against Paul and Francisco Trinaldo because he's got some. Me and old, old guys. Old guys. <laughs> that's, that's my jam. I know. Un- unbelie- unbelievable. Because the last time I had to do one of these things, it's because Alexei Olenek. <laughs> unbelievable. And it's not like I'm betting against, wow, you know what? Part of it is Danny Roberts is a bum, and we knew that coming in. Part of it is, yeah, Paul's got a bit on these old guys, right? He's like, who arguably has a body that's in worse physical shape than mine? Not not physical, like, look-wise, but, like, it's they're absolutely just trashed to pieces, right? Probably Francisco Trinaldo. Probably Alexei Olnick. <laughs> Paul likes these guys. He backs these guys. He's got Alexei Olnick's shirt. And I don't think I can't find it. Owns- I don't know where it is right really? now. I don't know where it is. I would have worn it last week or what last time he fought if that was the case. But I I haven't been able to since the move out here. It seemed to get lost with my camping equipment, too. I don't know where my camping all my camping equipment went. This is a pretty good boot because it's like very well insulated. Anyways. Yeah. So I took Danny Roberts, who is just the guy you can't have confidence in. I go against Paul and, and his old dogs. And, you know, Paul and his old dogs always got a bark in them. And, like, the second he got clipped the first time, you knew it was all downhill. And then it was all downhill. So, did to myself again. Let's go. boy, kid. Get after That is a greasy boot. That thing has been around the odd, the odd barn, I imagine. Those are, struggling. Those are poop. Just like my picks. Oh. <laughs> those are poop right. kickers for sure right there. Those are barn boots. 
big ups, extra, extra respect for wearing what seem to be very, very dirty boots. Respect. Big time respect. Anyways, I'm going to be a lot smarter moving forward. <laughs> yeah, after- and get back on track. So let's do this, Paul. Let's jump into this. Let's one. do the damn thing. All right, we got Alexander Rakic taking on Jan Blahovic. Rakic, a minus one ninety-five favorite. Blahovic can be had for plus one sixty-five. Take her away, Cody. Yeah, team me up here. I, again, I don't think this is one that you could have a ton of faith in. Rakic is nearly a two-to-one favorite, and where I think he probably wins the fight, some of that's going to be recency bias on the fact that Jan Blahovic just really didn't look good his last time out. But prior to that, the guy's got a really good body of work. He's a good striker. He's got a good body kick. He's got decent hands. In theory, could he could beat Rakic standing. In theory, he could take him down. He is a BJJ black belt. He has made a lot of money in the UFC and got a lot of wins using his ground game. He's durable when he's at his best. He's a problem as an underdog, right? With Rakic, meanwhile, I want to lean on him. He's my Slavic brother here. The numbers are just a little too low on the striking, right? Because if you're going to beat Jan Bokovic, who's not really the biggest volume puncher, I'd like to see you at work him. But again, you look at the majority of his fights, his one with Thiago Santos, 15 minutes, he got outstruck by Thiago Santos, 49 to 36. Now consensus is he won the fight. The judges gave it to him. The fans gave it to him. The media members gave it to him. And you rewatch it back, he does win the fight. But it's just low numbers, right? Same thing in the Anthony Smith fight. It's another 15-minute fight where he lands 44 significant strikes. So he's good at playing that long man game because he's six foot four, I think a 78-inch reach mm-hmm. on him, plays to the outside. But I-, I would have to see him go out there and definitively put up 100-plus significant strikes over the course of 25 because Jan can do that. Mixing the fact that Jan can take him down and Jan has the better grappling, it's all lining up for Jan live underdog play. Here's why I just really can't come to it on a personal level. He beats Izzy, which I didn't see coming because I kind of thought Izzy was one of these goat-type characters that was striking so good, high ring IQ, wrestling's gotten a lot better. Jan's nothing special, let's face it. He's a late 30s Polish fighter who kind of just got slotted in as a champion. The UFC wants Izzy to be a a dual weight world champ because they can market that, they can make a ton of money. It's all lined up for Izzy to win. Izzy probably wins. And then Jan goes out in there and he pulls that big upset, right? So going into the Glover fight, oh, Glover's that perennial underdog, but Jan's at his absolute best, right? He looked off from start to finish in the Glover fight, right? He yeah. looks off standing. He looks off as soon as he hits the ground. And here's the thing. He's a BJJ black belt and he is a durable guy. Good grappler, as I mentioned. So is Glover. And Glover goes to the can opener, okay? Interesting because the can opener hasn't been used since, like, Mark Coleman used to rock it in 97. So it's not something that's ultra effective, although guys will sometimes try to use it to break the guard. But in Jan's case, he grabs it, and there's a noticeable lot of pain in Jan here, right? He opens a guard right away. Glover doesn't even use it to pass. He just keeps cranking on the neck. It happens again in the second round. He clearly hurts his neck. And then as soon as he gave up that rear naked choke, it was like, you know, just just the, the brisk touch of the neck, he's tapping out. Glover had it sunk, sure, but he had literally just set it up, and right away he's tapping. That's not because he can't breathe. That's not because the, the choke's got his carotid artery off, and he, he's blacking out, and he's about to pass out. No, that's because his neck's in a tremendous amount of pain. You could see it from the fact that those neck, the can opener, the neck cranks, right, from guard, they were noticeably doing a lot of damage. And then standing, he just looked off. He looked bad. 
So I tweeted it out. I was like, oh, maybe neck injury. I, I did the pro- the recap show afterwards. Yeah, said, baby. Maybe neck injury. And nothing came of it. And then he gets booked to fight Alexander Rakic five months later, right? And he's out of the fight with a neck injury. That's like two months ago. Not even two months ago. It's like six weeks ago. He's out of the fight with Rakic with a neck injury. Well, I'll tell you something, Paul. Jan Blakovic is 39 years old. He got to a, a part of the mountain that nobody thought he was ever going to get to. Polish power, crazy shit, huge wins, but he's damaged goods. He's damaged goods, and I bet you the next little problem. Whereas Rakic is young, he's hungry, frothing at the mouth, chomping at the bit, like the Kentucky Derby winner. He's just ready to go and bite somebody and get after it. So, yeah, yeah, I think I would have to go Rakic. But uh, I'd like to put main events on my top ticket, right? And is Rakic a top ticket guy? Like, no, I just explained that I think that the value is not really there. Like, he, he's not offering me enough. And on the flip side of that, I just I can't pull the trigger on the dog play because I honestly think Jan's just not the same guy he used to be. And he was maybe overachieving to begin with. So, I, I don't know. That, that's kind of my take on it. I think it's pretty clear dogger pass. Um, I think it's a bit of an overreaction. I know that Jan, Jan had just recently had a kid. Heading, heading into the Glover fight, which, I mean, probably terrible timing. You're a new champion, coming off the biggest win of your life against Israel Adesanya. I mean, the Adesanya wrestling domination, particularly in the late rounds, like, a lot of that had to do with size. But I am worried about, I know Rakic hasn't really been taken down. Nobody's really tested him, though. Like, you go through the people that he has fought, and France Barbarossa is the last person to take him down, and that was in his UFC debut. But... Justin Ledette ain't taking anybody down. Devin Clark is pretty undersized at 205 pounds. Jimmy Manuel has no interest in going to the ground. Uh, Rakic took Vulcan Uzdemir down, but not really a grappler. Anthony Smith can't wrestle. Tiago Santos just wants to have a 40 to 45 round uh, striking affair, tepid striking affair. And somehow he keeps getting main event books. Um, Maybe, like, I. I'm not going to jump on it this early in the week. I want to see the weigh-ins for this. Maybe hear some of the interviews and all of that stuff. See where Jan's head's at. See where his, his training is at. See what it's all about. But there could be... There is a case to be made that Rakic's wrestling hasn't been tested. And Jan, historically, fantastic chin. Good cardio. Volume is okay. Volume is better than what we've seen from Rakic. I mean, if he drags this kid into deep waters and takes him down multiple times, I think we got a live dog here. So, dog or pass for me, but I'm going to wait for more intel as the week goes on. Moving on down the card, we have Eon Kutalaba taking on Ryan Superman Span. Ian Kutalaba, minus 220 favorites. Uh, Ryan Span, give you half a plus 180. Um, I mean, you probably should watch the weigh-ins for this one because Ian Kutalaba is probably, uh, may not even fight. Like, if he does what he usually does, they're pretty over watching people, you know, attack their opponents or try to, like, get up in their face like that. I mean, if he pulls a stunt like that, maybe Dana just pulls the rug. Um, I like Kutalaba to get the job done. I've never really been a Superman span kind of guy. I think that... um, you know, he's kind of like a one-rounder bust uh, type of fighter. And Kutalaba's been pretty durable outside of, like, the Ankalaev fight. Um, both of them don't really have great three-round cardio. I'm just going to go with the guy who I think is a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit more tenacious, more in your face. 
and he should have a wrestling edge in this spot. So I think Eon is a is a uh, rightful favorite in this spot. What about you? Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. With Span, he's kind of developed over the last number of fights as just like a one-round guy. Like, he does have good striking. He is long. He's athletic. He hits pretty hard. So if you get in his face early and he's able to clip you, he'll do some damage. If you're able to peel him to the ground, his ground game just really isn't there. <clears throat> but again, you look at his last fight against Anthony Smith, rear naked choke in the first round. Uh, we know the path of victory is dragging him to the ground. The fight prior with Misha Cherkinog is able to clip him. He gets the knockout. Okay, we know he's got that good striking. The fight prior with Johnny Walker. Walker, there was a time where he was exciting and did some crazy stuff. People happened to get caught by it. Span one of those guys. It's the fight prior with Sam Alvey, where everybody and their mama had money on Ryan Span. And everybody and their mama had one hell of a sweat. He's minus 365 against Sam Alvey, who's, you know, a gatekeeper at best. And uh, he, he just, he tired out quick. First round, he looks good. Second round, you can see the gears are starting to fall off. Third round, he's gassed out. Sam Alvey's backing him up. Sam Alvey wins the third. Now there's an argument by at least one of the judges that Sam Alvey won the second, and it was a split decision for Ryan Spann. So you're happy there. But then to see his three subsequent fights all ended in the first round, probably going to have a problem. Why? Because Eden Kudalaba, there was a time where he would have just greeted you in the middle of the cage and fought like an idiot for that one round. And if that was the case, it would have been anybody's round, probably Kudalaba because he's a little stronger. But if you want to just fight reckless with a guy for five minutes until you both gas out, then it's probably going to be closer to a pick him. But I think he's actually come a little bit beyond that. Like, when you look at his losses, again, some of the best guys going, uh, Magomed and Kalayev, but it's that last fight with Devin Clark. You and I broke it down in the preview show, and uh, he has a draw with Justin Jacoby, where his cardio looked improved, but again, classic guys just doesn't got it. And then right before the Devin Clark fight, on social media, everything he was doing was strength and conditioning. It was just cardio. It was running sprints. It was dieting down. He looked physically career best shape. I thought, you know what, dude? He's going to try to drop down to 85. He'd be a nice, big, strong, physical 85-er. Uh, I bet you he's looking to drop down. But then he comes out in that Devin Clark fight. And for the first time, the dude fought a complete game plan. He fought a good, hard 15 minutes, fought smart, conserved when he needed to, was explosive when he needed to. I thought he was a much better version of himself. He's that American top team, I believe, still. I think he's reaping the benefits. He's young. He's talented. He just was never able to put it all together because he's that wild man that you talked about. And I think he is putting it together. So if Span wants to just meet this guy and chin check him in the first round, and Goliath was able to do so, it is possible. But just this is this is freakish, right? His losses are to Mohamed Ankhamalayev, probably going to get a title fight. Glover Texera, who's the current champion. Jared Cannonier is lining himself up for a title fight. Misha Cherkinov was one badass grappler at one point in time, right? So. It, it's not as if he just loses to anybody. It's that they've matched him up really hard because they know how talented he is, and the talent never really was realized. His potential was never realized. But I think he's starting to come into his own, and I think he feels to beat Span. He's only still only 28 years old. He could take Span down if he wants to, right? He's too strong. He's got good wrestling. He's like a three-time European Sambo champion. If he wants to just grab a hold of him and rip him to the ground, he can do so. And at that point, ground and pound submission attempts, sure. But even if it does stay standing... Span's long, Span's lanky. Span will touch him up, but you've seen this guy throw, dude. It's like uh, it's like Mariano Rivera throwing a fastball. Like this thing just comes way over the top, gone, and you don't see it coming. And if he touches you, it's a tremendous amount of hurt. So I think Kudalaba's got an outgun in most areas. Uh, cardio was always his issue. I think he shored that up, and I think that'll be another weapon he can use against Ryan Span. So minus 220, I think it's a fair enough price tag, and uh, I'll be taking Ian Kudalaba. All right, we got Davy Grant taking on Lewis Smolka. Minus 300, Grant, plus 235. 
for Lewis Smolka. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, well, I would never want to pay that kind of price tag on Davy Grant, but doesn't it just seem like this is a Davy Grant fight all day long? Like, you remember back in the day, I loved Davy Grant. Ah, this is my guy. You know, hardworking, blue-collar, grindy. He just, again, was one of these guys that I don't know if life got in the way. I don't know if injuries got in the way, it, but, but just, like, he was plagued by time. He gave up a couple bad submission losses, and then it looks like he would fight once a year. Took all of 2017 off, one fight in 2018, one fight in 2019, one fight in 2020. Then he shows up in this Jonathan Martinez fight where he's effectively a plus 250 underdog against Jonathan Martinez. He shows up there, and dude, he looks pretty solid. Probably loses the first round, but keeps with it. Landing ton. Striking looks as good as it ever has. He was always physically strong and in shape, just could never really put it all together. And then knocks out Jonathan Martinez in the second round. Big shot. Shows he's got the power. Fair. So now they book him against Marlon Vero. He'd be dead in the water. I know he beat Marlon Vero once before, but Marlon Vero is a top five contender in the world. Davy Grant, I don't think he's in the top 15 at 135 pounds, if we're being perfectly honest with each other. So he's going to be largely outgunned here. And he does come in as a plus 180 underdog. And, <laughs> dude, he, he wins the first round against Marlon Vera, which pretty much everybody who's ever fought Marlon Vera has done. But Gave him a fight, man. They mm-hmm. were slugging. He showed a tremendous amount of heart. He took a lot of damage in that fight, kept with it. Again, physically strong, shows up, motivated. And for the first time in a long time, he's actually squeezed in multiple fights. Like, that's his second fight of 2021. Then they book him against Adrian Yanez. Well, well, Yanez is that young, hot prospect everybody wants a part of. UFC did this thing where it was like, top five technical boxers in the UFC. They got George Masvidal as three. They got Adrian Yanez as number five. They're saying he's the fifth best technical boxer in the entire UFC. Like, yeah, that's they, how much the marketing machine is just trying yeah. to, oh, this kid, this kid. And they give him old Davy Grant. Davy Grant effectively comes in as a plus 240 underdog. This is the third straight fight he's coming in as a massive underdog. And I had a big Adrian Yanez ticket. Paul, what a sweat. Davy Grant is that dog. He is that guy that comes forward. He's that guy that makes it up. He's got a lot of durability. His cardio checks out. He's got big power punching standing. He can wrestle. He can grapple. I think he's put a lot of his problems behind him. Louis Smoke has just been one problem after the next. The only one thing I would have always given Louis Smoke, my guy, right? He had the drinking problem. He came back. He was not physically strong enough. Couldn't make fly weight. He's missing weight. Gets bumped up to 35. Now he's not physically strong enough at 35. All these injuries plagued him. All these all these different things plagued him. But the dude's got that Hawaiian durability, man. Like, he's not going to knock this guy out. He's never been knocked out. And he's never really been hurt all that bad. And then to see Vince Morales, of all people, knock him out two minutes into the first round, caught him clean. It's a really bad look. It's not... That was the one thing you had going was that durability, that ability to take the punch, that ability to still make it that scrap. Because we do know that Louis Smolka does have good jiu-jitsu, just his wrestling is not that good. Not that it's not good, like he doesn't know how to wrestle. Uh, not good as in he's not physically strong enough to use or he can get to the positions. He's a former he flyweight. Them work. Yes, and at 135 especially, like at flyweight he wasn't all that strong. You take down Patty Holham. But, I mean, he, he would struggle against a lot of the elite guys at 25. At 35, it's just not there for him. So now he needs to rely on his striking. And I think he's got what? It's like a 67-inch reach. It's a really small little reach on him. He, he comes up short on a lot of his punches. He's 68. very hittable. 68-inch reach on him. Very hittable target. Not all that physically yeah, it's strong. About the same. Yeah, I'm not saving Davey. Davey's Grant's got 60, a- 69, which is pretty nice. Yeah, 69 inch reach. Yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be a big size difference or a big uh, reach difference. I'm saying that when you see them physically, Davy Grant's much stronger. So 
The grappling exchanges won't happen unless Davey wants them to happen. And I think Davey seeing Vince Morales knock out Smoke in his last fight, I think seeing Smoke get beat up in a few of his other fights, get backed up. He doesn't fight particularly well off his back foot. He doesn't have a ton of power standing, so you can take some of his shots and walk through them. I think Davey Grant just marches him back, has his way with him, chews him up. Minus 300, again, is that the kind of price tag I would want to pay on a mid-30s aged Outside of the top 15 veteran, no, but styles do make fights. And again, this is the kind of style that we want to get behind and the kind of matchup we want to get behind. So I always say, Paul, um, you want to back people that fight for your dollar, fight for your money, right? Davey, what Davey's happened last Saturday? Yes. What happened last Saturday was Rose was not interested in doing that. What Davey brings to the table is this is who he is. This is what he does. And uh, you can at least know he'll put his best foot forward and give you a full effort. So at yeah. minus 300, a little bit rich by our blood. But yeah, he's the pick, and that's who we're going to go with. Yeah, I struggle to see where where Smolka really wins. I guess if he takes him down and 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 finds a submission, but otherwise, like we've seen, like David Grant really seems like a guy. You know, he's, he's like six, seven months younger than me. He's making up for for lost time at this point in his career. You know, he's he's putting in a lot of fights, putting in a lot of wars, and and you can tell that the guy's made significant improvements and he was you know he was an ultimate fighter winner back in the day um second I, chris holds with beat him oh yeah whatever yeah. happened to that guy right uh somebody <laughs> that's what happened uh, yeah guy. people knocked him out in the gym or something right like that's what happened to to holdsworth is that couldn't hold his it head wasn't to- even just like the gym it was like yeah he got concussed a number of times over his career and it caught up with him but what was that big gym story tj tj knocked him out and i i was i was gonna cool man you knocked out chris hooks with rudy's career man yeah that's that's where that's where it was coming from (laughs) yeah yeah i knew it was either garbrandt but yeah dillashaw so it was garbrandt talking about about Dillashaw doing it. And then he became like a... Is he still a coach at, at Alpha Male? I can't even... I, I believe I he's still like one of the grappling coaches. He's a BJJ black belt, and he's legit. And I remember I watched that season of Tough, which I think Tough's on tonight, just nobody watches it anymore. But I no. remember I did watch that season of Tough, even though it was one of the later ones that were not very good. Ronda Rousey, Payne, I think. And, like, he would, he took his shit seriously. Like, they all would train, or we'd do two sessions a day at the gym, and then he would go back to the house and just the entire time he was at the house like his entire life was dedicated to the craft like that guy could have been a world champion but his body wouldn't keep up it wouldn't it wouldn't you know you have to be uh i say it in horse racing all the time you could be the fastest horse but if your body can't take it then eventually you're just gonna you're gonna pull a tendon you're gonna hurt a leg you're gonna hurt a foot something's gonna happen that's gonna impede you from being a champion the champion has got speed but he's got grit. He's got determination. His body can physically handle it. MMA is the same way. You can be ultra talented. You fight once a year because you're plagued by injuries. You're just never going to get there. Whereas these Peter Yan type guys, uh, you know, they, 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 they could fight. I, I think he could fight 12 times a year. I think he could fight once every month. Like it's not, <laughs> he comes out of his fights relatively unscathed, even though he puts on wars and you know, he's young and he's his prime. He's a machine. He's ready to take it. So some guys build for it, some guys not. Davy Grant built for it. 100% built for it. All right, we got Caitlin Chikagian taking on Amanda Hebas. Caitlin Chikagian is a minus 180 favorite. Amanda Hebas can be had for plus 155. Cody, I'm going to level with you here. Don't overthink this fight. You just take Shook by decision and be on your way. I mean, she pretty much outvolumes everyone that she takes on. She only ever really gets finished by, you know, the Jessica Andrades or the Valentina Shevchenkos. Um, 
Rebus's wrestling isn't really great enough to really concern me. I guess if you go all the way back to the Jessica I fight, that is a fight that would be a little bit concerning as a Shukagian by decision better. But she's minus 180 on the money line. But I feel like 95% of her win probability is tied up in the decision. And it's like plus 120 out there. So that is that was uh, one of my first bets of the week. It was actually my second bet of the week for this card. And uh, I'm sticking to it, bro. Shukagian, standing, boring, lots of kias and 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 <laughs> and things of the like. And uh and wins a decision that, you know, it could have been a bathroom break. But you know, you watched the whole 15 minutes because you had money on it. That's my take on this one. What about you? Yeah, I, I'm going to largely agree for the most part. I mean, Hebos has been, I think she's been match made pretty soft so far. She's been relatively matched up, uh, I guess not the best opponents. And she's looked good and she's got that hype and she's a good looking girl. And she does got that striking background and this and that. And I think that the marketing machine would like to get behind her. I just I don't want to be sold a bad, bad bill of goods based on, you know, hype. And in her case, again, the, the wins, right? Emily Whitmire, who, they call Emily Shitmire for a reason, right? Do you have to? Do uh, you have to bleep that? <laughs> no, no, no. That's because that's what they call her. That's what they call her, and it's a very fitting nickname for that. So quality is content. I can't, I can't disagree. Quality content, quality content. I'm just saying it's been a relatively low level. The you know the Paige Van Dance of the world. Now she fights Marina Rodriguez. Marina Rodriguez is a legitimate striker. This is a top five talent. This is someone that you can say, okay, she gets by this. this is a stiff test. In the first round, she wins the first round. She hits a takedown. She holds Rodriguez down. Wins the first. Lands no ground and pound. No real submission attempt. No real inclination to pass the guard and set up anything. But does take her down and holds her down. Okay, fair. Second round, she's forced to stand. And for someone that's got such a, like, a long accredited striking pedigree, she looks real uncomfortable standing. Marina Rodriguez hits her a few times, knocks her out. You know, it's a big underdog win for Marina Rodriguez. But at the same time, I think you saw Rebus's limitations right there. Now they match her up with Verna Jandaroba. So this is another style clash that would favor Rebus. Because Jandaroba has no striking. Nilch, not non-existent. Fairly good wrestler, really good grappler, BJJ Black Belt. But if you can just stuff the takedowns or end up on top of her, she's not going to offer anything in the striking exchanges. Now, Rebus did hang out Mackenzie Dern's guard and took her down twice. So her grappling, especially her grappling defense, is top-notch. It's really good. We just don't expect this to be a grappling match between her and Caitlin Chikagian. If anything, it's going to be Caitlin Chikagian standing to the outside, throwing her kios, out-volume her, staying out of harm's way, making her uncomfortable, causing Rebus to shoot some takedowns, but we know Caitlin Chikagian can grapple. And I believe she's still a BJJ Brown belt, but she's a good BJJ Brown belt. Her grappling's come a long way. So, yeah, I think it's probably decision. I think it's probably just going to be one of these try to keep ahead on the punch stats and stay to the outside type fights. But Caitlin Chikagian, rightful favorite, and I uh, I would also go with her to win this fight. And you got to remember, I think we're we're in the apex again. So those Kiyas and yeah are going to be amplified even more because the you know there's not very many fans in there to to drown out the the kias. So what are they supposed to do? But uh, but score for Caitlin Jukagian. That's, well, that's how these that, things work. Not only that, but they're not likely to be cheering at, during this fight. So it's going to be real silent in the apex. So the kias will be the only noise occurring at all. Exactly. That's that's my point exactly, and that's why. I am on. The acoustics on it will be uh, crazy. 100%. Hundo P. All right. We got uh, Manuel Torres taking on Frank the Crank Camacho. Minus 130 Torres, plus 110 for Camacho. Who you got here, buddy? 
Yeah, this might be like some type of trap, uh, not because the line's particularly off. It's just like how much confidence could you really have on either side? On one hand, Manuel Torres, uh, there's not a whole lot of footage available on him. Like you can dig stuff up, but there's just not anything out there that's super meaningful, right? There's little clips here and there, and then you see him fight on the Ultimate Fighter or on a contender Contender. against Colton Englund. Yeah, and and his striking looks good, right? It looks like, uh, you know, he's rangy, stays to the outside, strong. Probably got some decent striking. Grappling looks okay. I think he could be a work in progress. 27 years old, you know, I, I don't know how high I would rate his ceiling. But again, it's hard to get the best judge of him, right? On the other side with Frank Camacho, he's got a wealth more experience, man. He's fought in the UFC a number of times. He's fought in some fairly big name guys. He's a BJJ black belt. He's a competition black belt. Not anymore because he's fighting in the UFC. But like at one time, you know, ADCC qualifiers in Asia. Uh, Guam, all that crap, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, can grapple, right? Can strike, banger, big striking, has the experience, has all that going for him. It's that the trust level there is just no longer, you, you can't trust him anymore. The Justin James fight, Justin James just explodes at him, gets the jump on him, hits him and knocks him out. But I think that would go to show that like Camacho's days of just having that brawl, standing in the middle of the cage and just having a fireworks fight, like not Those probably going to go his way anymore. Is he going to rely on using that BJJ black belt well, he, throughout the majority of his career? No, hasn't. <laughs> so do we, do we suddenly think he's going to use his, his grappling to his ability, his, uh, his fullest now nah, also probably not. Now, if you're the kind of person that like is into narrative and all that, he loses to Justin Jane's, he then pulls out of a fight with Brock Weaver, which, I mean, that's that's the one you want, right? He then pulls out of a fight with Matt Frivola, and now he's coming back like a year later. So that all looks bad. But if you check out his social media, he looks in awesome shape. Awesome, awesome shape. The year off may have helped him. I don't know what injuries he was rehabbing, but maybe if he's healthy, maybe if he shows up on the scales and looks in awesome shape, he can go out there and still have that classic Frank the Tank stand in the middle of the cage, back the guy up, be aggressive, put a pace on him, wear him down, kite fight. But more often than not, it just seems like Manuel Torres is probably just a little bit fresher, right? Stay mm-hmm. to the outside, stay long, catch him, intercept him with something on the way in and hurt him. If Justin Janes can do it, well, a lot of guys will be able to do it. But this is kind of one of these 50-50 stay away type fights as far as I'm concerned. Looking at the line, minus 130, Manuel Torres, plus 110, Frank Camacho. I have heard of some people just be like, oh, you know what? This is you know good dog spot. There's not enough dog money on it, as far as I'm concerned, to make it a good dog spot. Could Camacho win? Sure. But a lot of this is just speculation on both sides. We don't really know as much as we'd like against Manuel. And with Frank, the last time we saw him, it was the worst you've ever seen him. He's pulled out of two subsequent fights since then. He's been off since then. He's not getting any younger. But his Instagram looks on fire. Like, like that's just it's more it's more narrative that's just gonna lose you money, right? So uh yeah, maybe maybe stay away from this one. But I don't I don't know, like I don't Be have careful. a dog at this point. So do I take do I take Frank Camacho just to say I got an underdog on the card, or do I just uh, go with Manuel Torres, who's like probably the ever so slight I don't know victory. much about Torres besides watching the fight with Col- Colton England, which is the There's first round. There. No. Um we we've talked about the the Frank Camacho submission win so many times, or not not even submission, the black belt in BJJ, and it's just like it almost seems fraudulent at this point because we just don't see it. Um, obviously, he's fought like so many better fighters than uh, than Torres. Like he's you know he was up at one seventy fighting Jeff Neal, but uh, Jeff Neal, Drew Dober, like this guy has fought 
not the who's who, but he's fought legitimate guys that make have made a name for themselves in the UFC. I mean, he's 10 to 1 to win by submission. I will say, I'm going to say it again. It's just like, watch the weigh-ins here because against Justin James, he came in at 158 pounds and then gets knocked out in the first round. So be careful um, back, backing Frank, Frank the Crank. I mean, it's really, really, really difficult to, to handicap Manuel Torres as far as I'm concerned. Um, for the purpose of the show, I'll say Frank Camacho, but... There's like basically not a shred of confidence in that selection. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook is too good to pass up. New customers can bet just $5 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. It's not often you get 30 to 1 odds on any basketball team to win their next playoff game. That's some great value. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Head to the app to check out our picks. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Bet just $5 on any pro basketball team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook. All right, moving on down, we got Jake Hadley taking on Alan Nascimento. Jake Hadley is a minus 220 favorite. Nascimento can be had for plus 180. Interesting spot, particularly because, like, Jake Hadley, when he was on the Contender Series, uh, stop me if I'm incorrect, but didn't he, like, get into it a bit with, like, some of the UFC staff and, and all of that? Yeah. I know we're getting down into Narrative Street. He looked great on uh, against Mitch Raposo, and I think Mitch Raposo was actually a pretty decent fight to be taking um, on the Contender Series. I mean, they're flyweights, so the level of talent at flyweight, everyone's pretty good at pretty much everything, right? Um, he's obviously a bit of a grappler. It's interesting that, you know, he has this issue with the UFC. He's kind of a jerk from the sounds of it behind the scenes over the course of the week. And they were unsure if they wanted to sign him. They liked the talent, but they worried about what he is like as a person. And then they give him Nasamento, who gave Tajir Ulimpekov all of the problems, um, on the ground. This kind of looks dogger passy to me. You give you a British wrestler versus, you know, scrambly wizard off uh, uh, off of his back on the mat. Crazy things happen in MMA, my friend, and uh, Jake Hadley had like he's had a couple good fights, but like earlier, like a lot of his wins, there's one win that I w- I forget the name of the guy, but it's like he took on some dude that is like 0 and 24, like 3 or 4 fights ago. It's like, well, that doesn't like you might as well throw my my, well, obviously, I would never make 125 pounds, but you catch my drift. It's like, well, what does that even mean? I don't even understand why people take those types of fights half of the time. Like, it just doesn't make. I, I guess it, there is a there is a there is something to it that I mean, you just stack some. Yeah, Reese Street in 2018, he took on who was 0 and 24 at the time. Uh, since then, he's still got that Blaine O'Driscoll, who we saw fight Mikhaev in Cage Warriors. He's got some decent wins, and I think he's actually a pretty decent talent. Don't get me wrong, but Alan Nascimento didn't look like an easy didn't look like an easy out. So I'm more inclined to lean towards the underdog here, just in the fact that if this becomes like a scrambly mess on the ground, 
plus 180 doesn't seem all that bad. What's your take here? Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think that uh, this is a decent underdog spot, right? You got to take an underdog somewhere. And I think Nassimeno is a guy that is very tricky. If this ends up being a decision, you see that he's 0-2 in the UFC, but they're both by split decision. He's competitive. His striking is good at times. His volume is good. And uh, he just attacks nonstop off his back. Getting, to, getting taken down by Tagir Ulenbekov, no problem. The amount of submissions he threw up, it's a low striking affair, like low in the striking numbers, but uh, just the submission attempts, it made it a close fight. A lot of people thought he lost that fight. Thank God Tagir got the decision there. But when you keep things close and competitive, then you can get the nod. When you can get the nod in your plus money underdog, especially decent plus money, not a plus 110 Frank Camacho, but like decent enough. I think Nassimano's got a good shot. Everything that you would hear about Jake Hadley that you see on tape, uh, all, all, all the press junkets coming out is that, you know, he's, he's a top flyweight talent. Bellator signed him to a one-fight deal, won the fight there, but they didn't re-sign him. Cage Warriors has him come in. He wins the Cage Warriors flyweight title. Contender Series a spot comes up. And then, interesting enough, he was supposed to fight Clayton Rodriguez. So Clayton Rodriguez pulls out, and then they just say, oh, don't worry, stay in Vegas, and then you can fight, I don't know, on the next Contender Series show, no problem. So he was ready. He had a full camp. He was local. Mitch Raposo actually kind of took that fight on short notice. Mm -hmm. When you watch the fight, Raposo wins the first round, right? Hadley doesn't look all that good. Raposo wins the first round and then gets tired. When he gets tired, Hadley takes over. Interesting because Raposo actually took the fight on short notice. The other thing is, this is your huge spot. You're in Vegas. You're already there. You're at the Performance Institute. Dana's sitting cage side. You've already gone and pissed off the matchmakers. And he actually missed weight by in that fight. Came in at 127 pounds. So he missed weight by one single pound. So it's a bad weight cut. He's a big flyweight. He's not adjusted to fighting in North America quite yet. He's still young and green in his ways. And he pissed off the matchmakers. When Dana signed him, uh, apparently, because we weren't there, who knows what the real story is, but apparently Sean Shelby and Mick Maynard both life left the apex. They were just like, you want to sign this guy? Whatever. You sign him. We're out of here. And they left. So obviously they weren't going to give him an easy fight. But you also can't give him a dude, oh, here, fight this guy. He's 3-0 in the UFC. You won't take those fights. Oh, hey, fight this guy. He's 0-2 in the UFC. Looks a lot better now, doesn't it? I mean 0-2 in the UFC. He's 0-1 in the UFC, sorry. And then he lost his contender series fight. But on the contender series fight, he fought Roly and Pava. Yeah. Dope, right? Roly and Pava still cutting it in the division. Was a massive flyweight. This dude was a giant flyweight who has since moved up to 35. Uh, and, and in his legit, he fought him to a competitive split decision in which he outstruck him. Yeah. And then the fight with Tagir Ulimbekov, a guy that's probably got top five, top te 10 talent uh, potential. Good takedown game. You know, he's, he fought well off his back. Like he showed that he's very versatile. He can fight off his back. He can fight standing. He's got good cardio. He's crafty. I mean, he's going to be a problem and you can get him at a, some decent, I think it was plus 180. Yeah. I'm drafting sportsbook right now. Yeah, I mean, come on. If you're going to take a shot at an underdog, uh, let's take a shot on one there. Totally agree. All right. We got Andrea KGB Lee taking on Viviani Arujo. KGB Lee can be had for minus 120, plus 100 on the underdog Viviani Arujo. Pretty much a straight pick him. Cody, who do you got? Is Andrea Lee for real? Like, is the comeback for real? Because I've always Seems liked like her in the sense that, yeah, yeah. She shows up in great shape. She's got striking for days in the sense that she'll just throw up nonstop volume. Cardio usually checks out. It's like that one thing that always plagued her. She's got terrible takedown defense, man. Woof. <laughs> you look at all of her friends. Veronica Macedo, who's tiny for the weight class, took her down. Ashley Evans-Smith, who fanned out quite easily, took her down. Montana De La Rosa, who has no success in the UFC, took her down five times. Joanne Woolett, uh, Calderwood used to be, uh, 
all striking, very little wrestling. Took her down twice. Lauren Murphy, who's just like a backstreet brawler, took her down twice. Roxanne Montefiore, no physical strength whatsoever, <laughs> though she does have a judo black belt. Took her down four times. Like, like what is going on? And so as a result, she loses a lot of these fights. They're close, they're competitive. She wins the striking exchanges, but she gets taken down. She she hit Roxanne, she outstruck Roxanne 97 to 60. The takedowns cost her. She outstruck Lauren Murphy 104 to 80. The takedowns cost her. Uh, I guess Joanne Calderwood beat her up and took her down. But uh, the, the problem is, is that judges like the takedown. They 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 like who ends up on top. So particularly at the them, particularly at the end of a round. Absolutely. So that was going to be a massive problem for her. Is that like you're you're going to have to shore this part up your game, or you're just never really going to break into elite competition, right? So now she takes on Antonina Shevchenko, who can't wrestle. This ends up being a, a favorable matchup, let's say, but. Her own grappling looked a lot more improved in that fight. You can, on one hand, say it's because she was fighting Antonina Shevchenko. You could, on the other, say, well, because it's, she's spending a lot of time working on her grappling. Again, if you check out her social media, she's grinding hard. Tony Kelly is her uh, her significant other. He fights in the UFC as well, and he looks as good as he ever has. He put a beating on Randy Costa pretty good in his last fight. Mm-hmm. And again, they, they both look in incredible shape, They're training hard. They got money behind their camp. They're bringing in bodies. They're doing everything that they need to do to make those improvements. I thought her wrestling looked a lot better. So now you go to the Cynthia Calvillo fight, and it's one of two things, okay? It's one, Lee's grappling is getting better, and it's two, Cynthia Calvillo's on the rapid decline. So she looks awesome in that fight. Maybe the best she ever has. But a grain of salt to be taken because Cynthia Calvillo is just not the best. Calvillo, Calvillo, let's call it spade a spade. She pulled a Roshkoff. Yeah, yeah, she just didn't didn't want to do it no more. And people, at that point, it was just like, yeah. I'm, people I were going after hurt. my boy, Max. I think it's sexist. I think it's sexist. You know? Yeah, it could be. Quitter's could a quitter, be. regardless of whether you're a girl or, or a guy. Now, when I think about Viviana Arroyo, her problem is, is that she's got two good rounds. One real good round. One round that's good enough to win. And then in the third round, the wheels just completely fall off. Like, she just doesn't have the cardio to keep up. You've seen her gas out against Alexis Davis. You've seen her gas out against Jessica I, and she ended up losing that fight. You've seen her gas out against Montana De La Rosa, where Montana De La Rosa's best round was the third. And Montana De La Rosa actually outstruck her 85 to 82 in that fight, simply because Vivienne brings heat early, fades away. She looked good against Roxy, but that's because it's, it's Roxy. And then Caitlin Chikagian, you just knew at some point someone was going to have good cardio and have good striking and takedown defense good enough to just keep the fight standing for the, the majority of it. And that's Caitlin Chukagian. And she just matted order, played an excellent Chukagian type game plan, and then won fairly handedly, right? I don't think she has that explosiveness to just continuously cut off the ring because she's going to tire herself out. She doesn't have the cardio to just continuously grapple and use her grap- or, uh, her power jiu-jitsu to her advantage. So I think this Lee thing's the same thing. Like Physically, Lee's as strong as anybody. The technique's just not quite there in the takedown defense. She shorted up a little bit. She stuffs more takedowns than she gives up. She's going to be a problem for Vivian Arroyo. I think the first round, Vivian probably loses. And at that point, if it looks like she's slowing down or and Lee's still got that confidence and that swag about her, live bet opportunity because she probably does lose the first round. But I'm thinking second and third, she stuffs the takedowns and just beats her up based on volume, tires her out, pushes the pace, and uh, you're going to see a good version of Andrea Lee show up here. So... I was hoping when the fight got announced, I was like dog spot, but it's dog spot. favorite. Why do you yeah, think I dog even, spot? I just thought people really like Viviana Arroyo. I thought it was like, yeah. I thought she would be a big, I thought she would be the favorite. 
She's and coming off she of a loss. Probably be against Caitlin Jukagian, a former title challenger, a title, a UFC title challenger, and, and also one of the best girls in the division. So I don't know how people are going to react to something like that. But clearly everybody's on the same page is that they're all noticing the improvements in Andrea Lee as well. And this is someone that started off her career one, three in a row, hot prospect, loses three in a row against good competition. And also just there's a clear element of her game lacking. If she fixes up those mistakes, she's now one, two in a row. She can get right back on track. She's actually got some legitimacy to her. Whereas uh, I, I think, you know, it's not that her opponent's not talented. I just, I just think she's been figured at this point. The cardio issues haven't been improved. And if she's a little too one-dimensional, Lee pulls it off. So it's a 50-50 pick. It's a women's MMA fight, but I'll go with Andrea. That's that's fair enough. The 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 stats really kind of scare me here for 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 KGB Lee. Just in terms of Viviani Arojo is much more of a wrestler than I really kind of gave her credit. To be perfectly honest, she's landing takedowns. I don't know if she has much of a top control game, but she's landing takedowns pretty much every fight out there, and that is KGB Lee's kryptonite. So would it? I would say Cody, just be careful. Don't put this all the way up at like ticket yeah, one, yeah, ticket two, because yeah. it could be a situation where Arujo takes her down, is able to hold top control just because like they match each other physically, and then you're down two rounds hoping for a finish in a women's flyweight fight. Never a good time. All right, moving on down, we've got Michael Johnson taking in taking on Alin Patrick, minus 155. Michael Johnson, plus 135 for Alan Patrick. I mean, what do you do? What do you do? Don't don't put on your top ticket. (laughs) Things that you don't put on your top ticket. Because here's how this fight plays out. I mean, Michael Johnson, when he is cooking, when he is firing, he, like, you know, he's a great boxer. He's very, very light on his feet. Very, very fluid. Like, watch Tiago Moises versus Michael Johnson. Round one, he looks like an absolute stud. Round two, absolute stunt. Like, this guy is a serial stunt artist. Um, wrestling isn't great. Alan Patrick could potentially expose that. Usually in this situation, I'd be like, all right, let's go look for a dog. And then you go, you go and you rewatch Alan Patrick versus uh, in his last fight... Why is the name sl- slip- slipping across my head right now? Uh, Mason Jones. Taking on Mason Jones. Gets absolutely brutalized in round one. Um, round two. Uh, legal eye poke. Was it an eye poke? I can't remember. Yeah, that was a bump. Big time. And it was kind of one of those things that you're like, Alan Patrick knows that he is not coming back into this fight. He is greasing the system. For, I mean, in a, in a situation to either A, get a decision, or B, get a no contest, which it was ruled a no contest. And they kind of treated it, like the UFC kind of treated it as a Mason Jones win. Um, but yeah, I, that day I said to myself, I can't, like, I mean, he's 38 years old, Ellen Patrick, at this point. It's like, I can't be back in guys. I mean, I already have Max Roshkoff. In my life, I don't need to be back back in too many quitters, and that's really what it seemed like from Alan Patrick. Like he, I guess he doesn't really speak English, so maybe something got lost in translation. But it seemed like when that foul 
presented an opportunity to get out, he took it. So, like, I'll pick Michael Johnson here, but uh, Patrick could take him down at, at literally any point, and I'm not sure who has, you know, the better jiu-jitsu game. Probably Patrick, who trains with Carlo, uh, Charles Oliveira on a daily basis, so... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not betting the stunt artist at minus one fifty five. I'll tell you that much. What's your take here? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Every time you're like, ah, oh, dude, Michael Johnson is so unbelievably talented, dude. Dude, Michael Johnson knocked out Dustin Poirier. Oh man, dude, dude. Michael Johnson has a decision win over Tony Ferguson, first guy to beat, or you know, first guy to really some uh, beat him in the UFC. I'm pretty sure it's like. Oh, dude, he's got a win over Tony Ferguson and Dustin Poirier. Yeah, dude. And he put a life-changing beating on Edson Barbosa. It's like, Dan, this guy's talented. It's like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he's also lost to C.B. Ray. It's like, what in what world Michael Johnson loses to guys he has no business losing to and has wins over legitimately some of the best guys going? Even when he fought Justin Cage, remember that? He, he stunned him in the first round, right? The guy's got monstrous power. He's trained with the best guys in the world. I don't know if it's a mental lapse. I don't know what it is. He just, yeah, yeah, you've mentioned it. You just can't really ever seem to get over the hump. Even when he fought Nate Diaz. He got outstruck by Clay Guida last time out, Cody. That was just, that was was just a minus 400, minus 400 favorite over Nate Diaz, right? This Michael Johnson. He's fought Khabib Nurmagomedov, champion, Gaethje, title challenger, Poirier, champion and title challenger. You know, like, uh, everybody, all the who's who. And then you're right. In his last fight, he gets beat by Clay Guida. The fight with Tiago Moises, you know, a 10-8 first round. 10-8 first round, master class. He was teaching Tiago Moises a personal seminar on striking. He was killing him. And then in the second round, he just rolls over to uh, the leg, grabs an ankle lock, taps him. The Stevie Ray fight. First round, Michael Johnson all day. Second round, looks like Stevie Ray's working his way back into it. Third round, Michael Johnson, baby. He's motivated. He's winning the third round. He's going to win a decision here. He gave up a late takedown with two minutes left, and then just lied on his back. Lost the fight. He always finds a way to lose. The Josh Emmett fight, he wins the first round, although it's not a great fight. Wins the first round. Wins the second round. Gets nuked in the third. <laughs> One of the worst that knockouts you'll ever see. Big time stunt. Yeah, like that's all the guy does is just the, gra- the victory's right there. The victory's right there. And then he finds a way to lose it. Now, if you're of the UFC, I remember when it was like, oh, dude, he lost to Stevie Ray. I bet you Michael Johnson's probably going to get released. I mean, he's older. He's not even beaten the Stevie Rays of the world. Stevie Ray has been released. Uh, Michael Johnson's getting released. But the UFC feels like they owe him something because he's super talented. You know, he shows up for them. So they give him, they give him one more, uh, Thiago Moises. The way he lost that, it was like, oh, man, you he looked, looked so, so good, good in the first round. You looked so good in the first round. You know what? We'll give you one more against Clay Guida. Clay just spammed him up against the cage and then took him down, right? And then struck him in spots because he was so worried about the takedown. Now it's like, okay, sure to God, Michael Johnson will now be released. He's 35 years old. He's on a four-fight losing streak. He's uh, two and two and seven in his last nine. And things ain't going so well. And he's now he's lost to the Stevie Rays of the world, the Clay Guida of the world. Everybody's beating him. His day's over. But the UFC feels the need to keep him on the roster. So when they book him with this Alan Patrick fight, I really do think they're attempting to get him a victory. And Alan Patrick just seems like he's ripe for the taking. The only thing that would really worry me is that the dude spams takedowns, right? He does it in most of his fights. He clings on. And him at his best, he took down Damian Brown five times. He took down Stevie Ray five times. He took down Demir Hadzovic nine times. He shot 
15 takedowns against Demir Hadzivic. Mm-hmm. So then they booked him against some 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 stronger physical guys. And against Scott Holtzman, he doesn't take him down. But he did shoot four. Against Bobby Green, he only gets one. And I think he shot six. Against Mason Jones, he never got any. And I think he shot four or six. The main thing is, is that now that better guys, he can't take them down. Michael Johnson's not really considered a better guy. Takedown defense is not good. No. Never been good. Never. And if even if you if you shoot one, he could stuff it 100%. I see him do it all the time. If you shoot two, well, now there's a 50% chance that he's going to stuff it, right? If you shoot three, it falls down to like 10%. You chain wrestle this guy or you just shoot two or three in the same round. One of them eventually ends up sticking him. And when he gets taken down, he just doesn't got that quite that get up game. You saw Charles on the way to the ring stop by to grab Alan Patrick from the crowd and be like, what's up, what's up? And then go in. Same thing afterwards. These are his guys. Uh, if he just gets the takedown, and you've seen the guy, he does a backflip at weigh-ins, shows up shredded. He's not exactly a two-dimensional fighter. He's very one-dimensional set in his ways. And it ain't been working for him. But Bobby Green's legit. Mason Jones is legit. Michael Johnson's is legit till he takes the shit in the apple pie. See what I did there? Because mm-hmm. that's 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 what happens with the guy. He's money, 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 money. Something happens and he falls off. And even though I'm so tempted to pick him again here, I, I'm also getting the impression like he's just probably going to go out and have another stunt. And Danny Roberts is the same thing last week. Well, Danny Roberts is super talented. He always does something stupid that blows it for him. And I'm watching this Trinaldo fight. It's like, oh, dude, he's way faster than Trinaldo. His hand speed's way faster. All these kicks are adding up. Dude, he stays to the outside. He's got Trinaldo here. Trinaldo's not even cutting off the ring all that well. He can just stay to the outside. And then what does he do, Paul? I'm going to step in the pocket and brawl. Like, why? Why would you step in the pocket and brawl? Oh, yeah. It's Danny Roberts. Finds a way to lose. Yeah, I kind of got the same impression with Michael Johnson. It's like, could win this fight, should win this fight, probably finds a way to lose. And you know what the, the common thing here is? Both Danny Roberts and Michael Johnson train at Sanford MMA. So, yeah, I don't know. Probably another stunt incoming. So tempted to dig Alan Patrick. Ever so but he slightly. Just, but he just he quit last time out. So it's. So, I know he's a, he's a quitter. Tragic. At least Michael Johnson goes out on his shield, and by shield I mean lying on his back with no <laughs> idea how to get back up. But but at, at least the guy's got nuclear power. Uh, you quit against Mason Jones because you knew you're getting beat up. I think Patrick is because I said Michael Johnson's thirty-five, right? Patrick's no spring chicken. He's thirty-eight. He's 38 yeah, and, and he and he himself has not looked good since the Demir fight. Demir's so one-dimensional, and that fight's low key four years ago. So uh, yeah, I, I think ever so slightly with Johnson, but you kicked off the preview of this fight by saying not the kind of fight you'd want on the top of your ticket. I just we laughed about. That's I, true. That that holds true. I just think there's better dogs to be had. Like all over the card, I think there's better underdogs that you can trust more with your money than Alan Patrick, 38 year old Alan Patrick, coming off of a borderline quit job in his last fight. It's uh, it's a scary proposition. I think it's dog it's or pass, set. but uh, I'm not gonna. It's more of a pass for me unless I see something over the course of the week from like weigh-ins or something like that. All right, we got Verna Jandiroba taking on Angela Hill. Minus 180 for Verna, plus 155 for Hill. Here's here's an underdog, Cody, where I think, uh, isn't this a better underdog than Alan Patrick? Kind of seems like it to me. This fight stays standing. Angela Hill should be able to win the game in terms of just volume. Just throw in like 100 significant strikes. It's like Verna, what have we really known from her? It's like she's a really, really, really talented grappler. 
but she doesn't have great wrestling. She really struggles to get the fight to the mat in a lot of her fights. Um, I, I guess in fairness, like some of her fights recently have been against other pretty competent grapplers. She's never topped uh, 63 significant strikes. Angela Hill, that's like... You know, she's at 63 by the end of two rounds type of thing uh, in the worst case scenario. Um, obviously, Hill coming off of the split decision loss against Amanda Lamas. I think it's dog or pass, though. It's like you have to be really confident that Verna's going to be able to get to this to the mat. Otherwise, I think Angel- Angela Hill just out volume, sir. What do you think about this spot? Yeah, so Angela Hill's made a lot of people a lot of money when they bet her as the underdog. Remember, she'd go on that streak where it's just like she'd come in, she's plus money, she you're not expecting much of her. And in all of her fights, they almost always universally go to decision, and they're almost universally all competitive affairs. And you're, she's live in those spots. Is that recently she's not been getting the decisions going her way in fights that she definitely could. That last fight with Amanda Lemos, I thought she won. That fight with Michelle Watterson, I thought she won. That fight with Claudia Gadelia, razor close. Good chance that she wins that fight. And for the record, she outstruck Claudia Gadelia 90 to 84, right? She mm-hmm. outstruck Michelle Waterson 131 to 128. Uh, they're, they're close fights. They're competitive fights. The judges just don't give her the nod. But they're always close. They're always competitive. And in a lot of these instances, they're split decisions. So her versus Vernon Jandaroba, first round, she probably gets taken down. But if she doesn't get submitted in the first round, Second and third are probably going to be a lot more close, a lot more competitive, and then it's going to come down to what the judges are looking at. I think Verna actually is a good wrestler. I think she's a pretty decent wrestler. She took down Carlos Esparza three times, you know, the current champion of the UFC, and a, a decent enough wrestler. The three takedowns on her, you know, it does mean something. Beyond that, though, is that she fought Carla, who's a good wrestler. She fought Kanako uh, Murata, who's a good who's wrestler. An excellent wrestler. It had a broken arm for the large majority of that fight. And Amanda Rebus, again, is a, I wouldn't say great wrestler, but a very solid grappler in her own right. Same thing with Mackenzie Dern. No wrestling, but a very good grappler. Those are difficult fights to approach, right? True. How much do you want the takedown? How much are you going to pursue the takedown? And how much can you even get the takedown? Tough to take down these girls, right? So she does show a 39% takedown accuracy in the UFC. But again, it's against elite levels of wrestlers and grapplers. The one thing with Angela Hill is for as much as she has improved, she generally tops off a takedown in pretty much all of her fights. Tisha took her down. Yodder took her down twice. Michelle Watterson took her down. L- Luma Luka Bume took her down. The, a lot of these girls fight at 105. A lot of these girls are not really known for their wrestling prowess, but they're able to trip her up and take her down at some point. Yeah. Now she's able to get up at some point, but Verna Jandaroba's BJJ, especially from the top, is nasty. So if she just gets a takedown in the first, gets a takedown in the second, she could just bank the first two and survive in the third. Like Angela Hill's not knocking anybody out, right? So, so Verna could just squeak it by doing it that way. Yeah. I just got a nagging suspicion that Verna's gas tank is no good. So she probably does get the takedowns in the first. She needs that first round, just, first round sub she needs. Yeah, because then the second round, the takedowns don't come as frequently, right? They're a little, they're a little harder. And you saw in her last fight, Verna Jandaroba, her knees are all taped up. It looks like she's banged up physically. Her striking has never been particularly good to begin with. She got outstruck by Mackenzie Dern fairly handedly, if you can believe that. Um, well, it's so, so she needs the takedowns. And if her cardio is not going to allow her to continuously push a pace, push a grind for two of the three rounds, the first two, obviously, then it's going to be a close, dicey, competitive decision, split decision. Hopefully they give it to Hill. Hill's a plus money. I think it makes sense in that regard. 
but probably not another fight that you want like a ton of uh, confidence and a ton of stake in. Yeah, that's fair enough. I was going to make a joke, but it was kind of mean. So we'll just move on. All right, we got uh, Tetsu, uh, Tetsuru. We're doing this again. We're doing this exact uh, uh, me not being able to pronounce this name. Tatsuru Tyra takes on Carlos Candelario. Minus 240 Tyra plus 195 Candelario. I, I had originally had uh, Candelario plus 225 in this spot. Just not complete. Like we talked about it obviously two weeks ago. So we don't have to waste too much time talking about it right now. I think it really just comes down to uh, Tyra. We just haven't seen... He hasn't taken on too many, like, properly sized flyweights in his career. A lot of his fights on the Japanese scene, they are against, like, relatively uh, experienced fighters, but it seemed like really, really small guys that he was fighting a bunch of the times. Um, Excellent, excellent back taker. Uh, Striking seems crisp and powerful, but I haven't seen very much from like a volume perspective. He's definitely is a work in progress on the feet. Um, I was on Carlos Candelario plus 225. I'm going to be doing some line shopping over the course of the week. Obviously, you know, they, they opened them up at like plus 190, plus 200 this time around. Not that that really should sway me. If I liked Candelario plus 225, I'm going to end up with some action on him this week again. Um, but yeah, I just think it really comes down to this is like a real stiff test for Tetsuya Tyra. If he gets if he gets the backpack, like I'm getting used to, you know, accepting the fact that like some guys are just really good at taking the back. And until they change the rule on like moving or progressing from back mount, you're gonna see a lot of really, really boring decisions this way. Um for guys that just can't find the submission but can control that back for uh, for the entirety of like five five minutes of a round. I'm going to go with Candelario. Dogger pass situation again. Uh, we'll check out weigh-ins because I don't think I'm getting better than plus 200 that's out there. It's plus 195 at DraftKings Sportsbook. Maybe something happens. Obviously, Candelario had to pull out of their previous matchup. So, uh, yeah. I mean, if he misses weight after having to pull out that time... Big time red flag. So that I would probably not get involved at that point, but uh, we'll 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 make sure you know my ponies uh, show off and and get into get into line, look look the right part, and uh, probably back Candelario again. What about you? Yeah, I'm you know what I'm kind of getting cold feet on this one. If we're being perfectly honest with you, like I don't really know what it is but what was the line last time wasn't it a bigger favorite for Tatsuro Tyra yeah it's it's moved a little bit but that's because people say on best fight odds but the line was for the last one well like here's here's the thing Cody here's what happened is that people took the plus two 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 250s and and below so because of that they, when the books reopened this, they were just like, wait a second, we were taking tons of action. Like now when you look right. across the market, plus 205 is available out there right now at the at the time of this recording. Best price out there is a plus 210. Um, but everyone's kind of keeping it in that plus 200 range. Plus 195, plus 190, plus 200. They're not willing to give the the slightly, slightly better numbers that they were given before. Because I bet you they were taking a lot of action 
since Tyra's pretty unproven. Um, uh, well, and, and he's a massive favorite. Felt. Yeah, that's how I felt the last time is that he, he was like the second biggest favorite on the card. I remember him being like minus 350 or something. And it was mm-hmm. like, dude, this guy's unproven. He's fought nobody. Why would he be that fav- big of a favorite of a guy in Candelario who, you know, most notably had fought in that uh, Ronaldo Candido on the ultimate or on the contender series. He yeah. get a contract, but he fended off all of his submission attempts. High level BJJ black belt grappling looked good. This kid looked talented, doesn't get the contract. And he's like, you know what? Screw MMA retires for three years, comes back. Sorry. Four years. He retired for four years. He comes back four years later against Miguel Restrepo at bantamweight. And then took one fight on the contender series at, against Victor Altamirano. I thought he won. You thought he won. A lot of people thought he won. But he loses. He doesn't get a contract. But they said, we'll bring him into the UFC. And then he pulls out of this exact same fight with Tyra. Although we liked him. We were backing he, him as He underdog. did get a contract. He was the guy that they gave a contract without Even winning. he lost? Yeah. Right, right. Because well, Dana's like, I don't, Dana was like, him. I don't agree with that decision. So we're taking both right. of these guys. That's right. Okay. Well, yeah, he gets signed coming off a loss, even though it was it was competitive and controversial. And then they throw in them there with uh, with you know an unproven Japanese prospect, and he pulls out due to illness, right? So the fight gets scrapped on like the day of. Mm-hmm. Now you rebook it two weeks later, and he's less of a favorite, or he's he's more, like people like him more. Not that much, like though, him- man. Like if you actually think about like the win probability here, plus two twenty five. Like I can rig it up right now. Ace odds. 240 down from Probably. what? You no, know, he was plus two, like plus 220, plus 225. I had plus 225. Um, but yeah, plus 225 is a 30% or 30.8% winning probability, plus 195, which is what is available at DraftKings Sportsbook, is 33. So, like, basically, the book's just like, eh, we're just going to skim a little bit of win probability off of this line. Because there was probably a lot of people taking, there was a lot of people taking the shot on Candelario. So they're like, if people are going to take this shot on Candelario, we're going to give them slightly worse odds. Like that's that's what's happening here. The books know that people are willing to take the dog shot, and they're like, well, we're going to give you that dog shot at just a slightly reduced rate. Yeah, I don't know how much I, I like it. I would look at it the same way as, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to fight Pat Mayo. Okay, Pat Mayo and I are fighting. We're fighting next week. Okay, then the day you set the line, we take some action on it. Perfect. Then the day of the fight, one of us is like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sick. You know, bad weight cut maybe. Uh, 25 is a tough cut for me. I'm in my 30s. It's my debut. The lights are, are bright and the, la- the music's loud. And uh, I, I just don't feel like I could compete right now. Okay, so you're you're withdrawing from the fight, yeah. And then they rebook you two weeks later. Were you able to go, jump back into some resemblance of a training camp? How long were you sick for? Was it anxiety-related? Was it stress-related? Was it COVID-related? Was it like an actual stomach flu? Did you eat something like Donald Cerrone? By the way, Donald Cerrone uh, apparently had stomach flu. He ate something. But the people on the inside that are close to him, they're all wondering if Cowboy wanted it or not. Like, it's, it's tough to just pull out of a fight. So you rebook it two weeks later. You reset the line. The dude that pulled out has a better likelihood of winning the fight the second time around. How does that make any sense? How does that make any sense? And so when I think about it and I look back at this, the first contender series fight with Candido is that he gives up all those spots. The thing is, Candido is so aggressive for the submission. He just keeps going balls out for submissions. This Japanese kid's not going to do that. He's going to see the position. He's just going to lock it down with a body triangle or, you know, just staple him. And then I think, you know, put it on them. And then the other thing is, is that you've got a kid from Japan who's never fought outside Japan, right? 
that I don't believe so. Fight. Okay, okay. So this kid, this kid's it probably it probably old. helped no, him no, no, in no. this situation to have the extra two weeks. To be perfectly honest, because that was okay, so, that was part of my capping process last time. I'm like, uh, well, I think the kid was training actually at like syndicate leading into it. I may be wrong. Well, on that. you're not you're not just getting off a plane from Japan and with the time difference no. and waltzing in. So you would come a little bit in advance and you get some camp. What I'm saying is that this kid has never fought outside Japan. He's 22 years old. He's basically like you know the equivalent of a second year, third year university student, right? Uh, he doesn't really know much in the ways of the world. He's fought all of his pro fights in Japan. Now you got to board that plane. Now you got to come to North America. Now you got to sell into Las Vegas. You have a translator with you. The weight cut's different. The food you eat at the store is different. Everything around you is different, okay? Now you got to get on the scales. That's a pressure situation. Got to make sure you make the money, okay? 125 pounds. You go through the process. You see the commission. You feel the vibes. You see the other guys warming up. You go to the hotel room. You check in. You spend all night thinking to yourself, I got to fight a guy tomorrow. You, you go through that. That's the fight. That's the fight. BJ Penn and those guys will tell you, the fight is the week leading up to the fight where every day you're thinking about it and you're worried about it. That's the fight, getting through that. He's, ah, oh, once the cage door is closed, I'm willing to fight anybody, right? It's the getting to the fight is a process. That's all invaluable experience for this kid who then no doubt attends the show the next day, live in person, sees it, experiences it, is backstage, sees the whole process. They tell you, stay in Vegas, keep training with these guys in Vegas. We're going to rebook you with this dude who's too sick to fight and you're going to rebook him in two weeks and there's better value on you the second time around. It's, ah, shit. You made a believer out of little Cody. Now my luck hasn't really been all that good lately. So what the fuck do I? Ah, I did it. Write that time go down for me, Paul. Somehow, if God. you can't, I'll get it. God we we darn near, it! We were near the end of Tatsura Terra. <laughs> one, uh, one, two. All, all the same. You know what I'm saying? They made me a believer out of me, and they flipped me. And uh, we'll we'll have to see how this one plays out. But I'm I'm gonna go the other side. Okay, bro. Okay. I mean, I'm 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 a little bit less uh, less excited about it this week because I've already taken a really silly dog shot, Cody. I bet Andre uh, Petrosky. I took him a plus three eighty, um, the line that I caught the other day, because um, I don't really. Uh, I mean, you're just gonna. It's this is gonna happen until I win. If they if they're gonna lay if they're gonna lay massive chalk lines on Maximov. I'm going to end up be I'll, I'll be their huckleberry and and bet it. I just think that the guy's game is not really well-rounded. Pretty solid grappler, pretty strong guy. Could definitely take Petrosky down and hold him in position, but Petrosky's got half decent wrestling in his own back pocket. Petrosky's been doing some uh some grappling competitions and all of that. I do not necessarily like Andre Petrosky. This is 100% a uh, a price play. There's some plus 300s out there. Plus 290 actually is like the worst number on the market right now. Not that I would, uh, yeah, do your do your work at uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, but maybe not on this fight. Um, yeah, I, I just struggle to see how Nick Maximov is 80% against anybody in the UFC right now, Cody. He's just like the Diaz's buddy, decent grappling, but, I mean, the guy went like life or death with like Cody Brundage. He's 24. Maybe he's going to be getting a whole bunch better, but uh, this price right here is telling me that like he's a complete package and he's not. So 
I took the shot on the dog. What'd you thought? What are your thoughts on this one? I like Nick Maximov. I do. Not at minus four fifty. Whoa, 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 whoa! We got it at minus three eighty. Okay, at dra- okay, it is a DraftKings sportsbook. It's three eighty or three fifty, but yeah, like that's it's one hell. That's one hell of a bargain, my man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's here's my reasoning. Here. Here's my reasoning. Is there anything that I like particularly that he does like in the cage? No, not not particularly. His style is not the most fan friendly. It's a bog. It's a grind. It's not uh, super aesthetically pleasing for sure. The fans don't overly enjoy it. I don't think so. That's the way I want my guys to fight. That's the way I want my guys to secure the victories. Keep in mind, he fights Oscar Coda on the Contender Series as a heavyweight. Yeah, yeah. He came in at two hundred nine. He came in at two hundred nine pounds. The other guy's like two fifty. He takes him down twice. He neutralizes him. Perfect. He's got a. he, He wrestled collegiately. I believe it was community college, but all the same, dude. The guy who's got collegiate wrestling. He's got legitimate BJJ black belt. He trains with some of the best guys in the game. But beyond that is that he's like Jake Shields' guy. He's like Jake Shields' prodigy. And he fights very similar to Jake Shields. Striking's not very good. But his willing to grind on guys is second to none. And I love that. I love that because it cashes tickets. Now you watch him against Cody Brundage, and it's like, oh, dude, this guy's a work in progress. Brundage, of course, also did wrestle collegiately. He's a strong guy physically. He goes out and he gets the four takedowns. He did, even though people scored it for Brundage, Maximov wins that fight. He wins that fight by way of he holds the positions for the vast majority of it. He struggles to get stuff going. He's gassed out. But at no point in him being gassed out does this guy ever relent. At no point in him being gassed out does this guy ever think to himself, I'm tired, man. I'm going to try to conserve. He just kept shooting takedowns and grinding Brundage until he took his back in the third, solidifies the win. Good stuff. Now he takes on Puente Soriano. Soriano also wrestled collegiately. He's full-time out of Las Vegas. He's one of Ali Abdelaziz's guys. He's got wicked big power in his hands. People like him. He's the rightful so favored over Maximov. And what does Maximov go and do? Takes him down 11 times and Puna, sucks the soul yeah. straight out of his body. That one Puna gassed out. Puna gassed out. Now, Maximov's not striking. He doesn't land any ground and pound. His submission attempts are a little bit weak at times, but he just grinds on guys, grinds on guys, grind that if you don't have the cardio to keep up, it's going to be a serious problem. When I look at Andre Petrovsky, that's that's his issue. He is so ripped. He's so muscular and so jacked. He just can't keep that going. You see all of his losses, right? As a pro, he lost to Aaron Jeffrey, who's local guy from Niagara Falls here, up here in Ontario, right? He gasses out after the first round, and he gets, uh, he gets knocked down the second. Then you see him in the ultimate fight against Brian Babb, okay? He does fairly good in the first round, completely gasses out and gets ch- caught by a choke by Brian Battle. Uh, Michael Gilmore, right? Michael Gilmore is an anomaly type fighter. I say that because he's got five pro losses. His losses are to first round submission to Rumi's Brahimaj, a first round submission to Gilbert Urbina, a first round submission to Randy Patino, a first round submission to Willis Black, and a first round submission, sorry, second round submission to Ricky Miller. And yet, Andre Petrovsky had to take him deep into the third and ground and pound him because yeah. But do you are you do you think that like we haven't really seen much from Maximov to be like oh this guy would have finished would he have finished Michael Gilmore in the first round like I don't know uh hundred percent hundred percent finished him in the first round it's Michael Gilmore Paul. I think Ramiz Brahimaj is better down, he would have given up his back he would have gotten joked out I mean I've made the joke before that if Maximov was actually Russian I would probably be a fan but he just kind of 
He's middleweight Ronnie Yaya. Like he, this guy's a guard puller. He's a he. He'll he'll flop. He does has no interest in like having an actual fight, but he is good at you know holding top position. That may be enough to get by in this spot. Do I think that this is like a 50-50 fight? No, 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 no. Um, much like you got to get over three plus three hundred to play Petrosky, but. Um, I think it's dangerous backing someone with this many holes in their game at this number with Nick Maximov. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. For the bro. record, for the record, Ronnie Yaya is 13 and four in the UFC and on a two fight winning streak. Right. So as much as you don't like him, as much as nobody really likes Ronnie Yaya, he's 13 and four and on a two fight winning streak. No, and for the record, he's 37 and irrelevant, but he wins fights. Because fights are largely based on who's on top of the other guy. And that's what this one's going to end up being. I just don't think Petrovsky, Petrovsky, for the record, did actually wrestle a little bit collegiately. But he's just too muscular. He exerts himself too much. And then you mentioned he had been doing some grappling because he has. You go and you watch back that Phil Hawes fight. Both guys are so jacked and have such bad cardio that they stare at each other. Because they're like, nobody wants to engage the other man at, at risk of getting gassed out. So they stand there largely. To be perfectly honest with you, I scored the match for Phil Hawes. The judges disagree because I think Petrosky was going for a little bit more. <sighs> I, I just I don't see enough out of him. I think Maximov is just going to push a grind on him. Him with all these big muscles, he's going to push back. He's going to show some resilience. And maybe even in the first round, he's able to have his way. And then the second round, he's going to start to tire. He's going to give up his back. He's going to end up in a bad position. He's going to gas. Maximov is going to continue to put it on him. I think Max Mall is only just going to get more comfortable in his skin. He's going to get more experience. Dude's 8-0 as a pro, and he's just a baby in this game. He's 24 years old. Every fight, he's going to progressively be getting better and better. That's how this works when you put the time in, and he does put the time in. He looked not very good against Cody Brunridge. He looked exceptionally better against Soriano, he but did. still not very good. He's going to look better here against Petrovsky, but maybe not great. His next fight, is, is, is that, that's what happens when you're 24. You train hard. You have skills. BJJ black belt wrestled in college uh, cardio, not there, but his heart is, he can't train that. Right. So I, I think he's going to find a way to win. You're absolutely right in your assessment that the line's off. You're right in your assessment that, you know, a dog shot here would like, I mean, he was, he, he was plus yeah, one. I, get it. I he was, totally get he was it. Plus one fifty against Puna. Um, and then now he's like, uh, who knows where the line will end up by the end of the week. But, Close open or it's uh, the high range right now is minus four thirty five, and the lowest you can get them is uh, minus three sixty five around the market. Yeah, yeah that's a lot yeah, of faith. Gonna, that's like, does he win this fight eighty percent of the time? If you ask my boy Brett Appley, he'd tell you one hundred percent of the that's time. That's true. I'm going with that dog. I'm going with that. That's my guy would never stream down the wrong path. Maximum for the win. Uh, but his price tag suggests top ticket. Maybe we're not going to do that, Paul. I will give you that. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I think he wins more often than not in this situation. I'm just not confident that he wins 80% of the time with his strategy. Um, prove me wrong. And uh, if he doesn't prove me wrong, I'll probably lose more money betting against this guy. I mean, I have. Uh, I did have him against Brundage. Um, and I think from your contender series, that one was a greaser taking on the heavyweight uh, that was just a weird fight all the way around anyway yeah all i've got this week i've got the small play on petrosky considering 
adding again to Candelario. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see weigh-ins and, and reassess because it seems like the number's just going to kind of kick it around this spot. And uh, Chicagian by decision, uh, plus 120. Uh, that's kind of a good time because that's how Caitlin Chicagian wins fights, and she should win the volume exchanges between the two of them. Other spots that I'm thinking about, Angela Hill, but you kind of talked me off of that a little bit. And uh, uh, as always, get a better price after the first. Yeah, price after that. First. As always, at Paul Shag on Twitter, I'll drop my plays on Saturday afternoon. Hit him with the PRP, Cody. Yeah, so we go from 15 fights last week to 11 this week, but maybe that's what we need. We're gonna go with Alexander Rakic, Ian Kudalaba, Davy Grant, Caitlin Chukagian, Manuel Torres, Alan Asimeno, dog number one. I think he's the only dog. Andrea Lee, uh, Michael Johnson, Vernon. I'm going to take Angela Hill. That'll be my dog number two. I'm going to go with Tatsura Terra and Nick Maximov. Again, when you're looking at these top ticket guys, it's like, okay, who do we like? Well, Paul and I both agree that we like Ian Kudalaba. I like Kudalaba. Is he a little bit reckless for a top ticket guy? Potentially. Davey Grant, minus 300, big price tag, but that's a top ticket guy. If you were to go Rakic and Grant, get as close to even money as you can, gives you that hedge out option. That second ticket, though, it got Kudalaba. For me personally, it's got Maximov. After that, things fall off pretty quickly because... You know, the other big favorite on the card, Jake Hadley. I'm not backing up. Oh, Caitlin Chikagan. That's definitely a third ticket person for sure. Oh, yeah, Nasamento. I should probably add Nasamento. Um, yeah, he, he's, he's a live underdog at plus 180. Mm-hmm. We both agree with that. The way the guy fights. A lot of the times, it's like how, how close and greasy can I get the fight makes it worth it for the underdog, right? So the same thing with last weekend and Rose Namajunas and Carlos Sparza. In my mind, Rose Namajunas, there was such a skill discrepancy on the feet that they weren't going to be close rounds. But for other people that were picking Carlos Sparza was on the basis of, well, if she gets the takedowns, they'll be close to competitive. But the close to competitive, you got a nice plus money shot here in a close to competitive fight. When they were going to the fifth round, honestly, maybe it was because the fight was so bad I wasn't fully paying attention, but I didn't have a clue how it was going to get scored. But I assumed that they would give it to Rose Namajunas. And they didn't. And like, you can't complain about it. You can't be upset about it. Is they're close? How, how close can we keep these fights? When I think about uh, live underdogs, Nassimeno could keep it close. He can make it live, right? Alan Patrick, because of that wrestling, mixing in a couple of takedowns, he can make it close. He could be live. Angela Hill, all of her fights are close. They're live. Candelario, he can keep this thing close. He can keep it live. Your boy Petrosky, maybe for the first five minutes, but then he is straight up going to gas out. They're both going to be tired. That's why it's the first fight on the card. Dana's like, hopefully people are not in a hurry they were, to see it. it Maximov went from co, co-main event in his last spot. To, uh, he stinks up the place, but that's what Jake Shields used to do. Thing is, Jake Shields wins. He was fighting and, uh, in a different time as well, where people were very, <laughs> were very, very one-dimensional back in those days. Oh. Oh, okay, okay. So, so one-dimensional doesn't work anymore, right? Well, it does at the, like the low level. You can get away with it at the low level, and then and eventually Petrosky is the low level. going to find you. Like, yeah, he represents that low level. And when you, uh, Patty Pimblet, you're 100% right. You're like, dude, we need to fade Patty Pimblet. It's like, oh, yeah, 100%, we're going to. Just click Kazulo Vargas, probably not the guy. But I let him it. smash Vargas, and then the marketing machine's going to get behind him a little bit, and, and our opportunity will present itself. Just, you know, trying to pick and choose. Sometimes trying to pick bit. and choose that dog spot when you kind of think it's a fraudulent uh, prospect, it's a lot hard. Like, you end up missing the boat. If you don't, if you don't fire, 
So my plan with Maximov is, I'm sorry, sorry, Brett Appley, but I'm going to keep firing, probably keep losing until I win. Just the way it is. Got to go down swinging. Got to go down swinging. Anyway, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For Cody Zavdik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.